This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right, let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Girl, I'm closing all these tabs. (laughs) How many tabs are open in your brain at any given time? Oh, I need them all there. And I'll have the same tab, like, open four times. Oh, my God. That's the least surprising thing I've ever heard. There are two kinds of people in the world. There's the Kristens and the Mogaps. And <laughs> yes. all you got to do is look at her cell phone. Accurate. We're Nodies. a spectrum. We're on a spectrum from Kristen to Mogap. <laughs> yeah. Peeps and creeps. Which one are you? I'm going to put one of those little sliding bars. So are you more Kristen or more Mogap? <laughs> yeah. Take a personality quiz on our Instagram story. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. We need to talk about the big news. Which is? Adnan is out of prison. (laughs) That is the biggest news of our <laughs> lifetime, of the podcast history. I thought we had talked about it. That's why I didn't. On the mini creep, we talked about how yeah. it was like th- the motion to vacate had been filed. Yes. But we're recording this on Tuesday. So it has been 24 hours Long and some hours. change since Adnan has walked out of that jail. If you go onto Rabia's Twitter, there's video of him like going through the fridge mm. at his house. Like. <laughs> I, Ru- okay, good. Because Russell and I, we were on, we were walking the dog when he would like walked out of prison. And I was like, what's your first move? Is it the McDonald's drive? Like, what is your, a- uh-huh. what is your first move? And I was Straight like, well, home, it, rummaging he through asked the fridge me, for leftovers. I know. Russell asked me and he was like, what would be your first, like, you know, thinking I had an answer. I'm like, well, it depends on where I'm at geographically. Am I close to a Whataburger? Am I close to <laughs> TechMet? Like, what? I know. Right, right, leftovers, right. though. From today, so this will release in like nine days. So yeah, <laughs> in 21 days from the day that this releases, the state will have to decide if they're going to retry him or not. So he's on house arrest right now, which I'm sure is a place that he would love to be. Yeah, that sounds like an upgrade for sure. Right. And he gets to be with his mom and his brother. They were there at the house. It was very exciting. Also, in this video of him rummaging through the fridge, there was a boom mic because it's obviously Rabia is shooting it from her cell phone. But there was Mm -hmm. a boom mic in that shot. So that tells me there's going to be like some sort of documentary, some sort of like, uh, you know, thing that we can watch, which will be cool to see. So 
Looking forward to all that. I I did not think they were going to release him yesterday, like immediately. They thought it would take hours to process him then. Nope. He just (laughs) walked out. Walked out. I'm shocked. And I really, I need to know if they are going to retry him. And, you know, may I mean, what do you think? The chances are high that they will. I think the chances are very low. I think it's very unlikely. That's my understanding. I'm not an expert. Ask Rabia. <laughs> Rabia Yeah, knows. I'm shocked how many people I posted about <laughs> it on my personal IG. And uh-huh. I was shocked how many people kind of slid in my DMs with their hot takes. And I'm like, first of all, I'm surprised that if you follow our podcast or, it, you know, great. I love a good difference of opinion. If sure. you really think he did it, all I'm asking is that someone prove it. <laughs> right. That's right. it. Yeah. I don't even need it. I said that to Russell. And I was like, just prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. He's like, I don't even need a reasonable doubt anymore. I need someone to prove, like, truly link him. And I was like, absolutely. Like, right. I'm not – yes, I do actually think he's innocent. But all I'm saying is no one's proven that he is not. Right. So Prove it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and here's the thing. I have no problem going back and admitting I was wrong. So if someone proves it, like, gives me all the DNA, all the facts, well, proven beyond it, a reasonable doubt. If it proves okay, that fine. he's guilty, that means that there's – information that we don't know based on the information that everybody knows the information from the trials the information from the investigation since like based on all of that information i just think it's very unlikely that he did it your opinion should change as you get new information (laughs) i love me some critical thinking yeah yeah. i would be happy to engage in it if necessary i also talked to somebody who was just very worried she's like everybody's celebrating and i am just thinking they're going to retry him and then they're just going to throw him back in there. And this is like not the win that it looks like. And I'm like, look, we have so few of these with the criminal justice system. Like, let's take the win. Let's celebrate right now. This is a step in the right direction. This is yeah. a good thing. And right. we'll see what happens from here. You know, I mean, yeah, to keep keep you on your toes. Don't ever <laughs> don't ever lay off. Don't but... ever fully trust the system. But... Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. I wonder how Rabia feels, too. Oh, I can't imagine fighting for something for 23 years and then finally having it come to life. Like, oh, my God. Right. All right. Before we get into our story today this week just want to let you guys know about a little thing we have called the patreon patreon we got three levels for whatever you would like so our first level we got you at five dollars that comes with a shout out and a bonus episode every month i've got to get working on that october bonus episode Uh, i don't have time for that then we've got our seven dollar level where we do a mini creep uh, about twice a month Those are a good time. Those are just like shorter episodes on all sorts of different things. We just finished our mini creep on who betrayed Anne Frank, which was a very interesting uh, deep dive to go down. And then we've got our $10 level, which is you get 20% off of merch. And we've just made that level ad free. So starting like two episodes ago. And from here on, all the episodes will be on there ad free. And sometimes I put them up there like the night before and just like post them. So you might even get them. You people should go listen to our ads because we've got some amazing coupon codes (laughs) and your girls are excited about it. That is true. That is true. All right. So don't miss miss a discount. Okay. Don't Don't act like you're above a a discount. discount. Don't miss a good discount. We love a good discount. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. 
When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Creepers. All right. Thank you so much to Leslie for recommending this case to me. It had been on my list, but it had kind of gotten buried. So she brought it up to me again and I was like, oh, yes. And then I did it. (laughs) So big thanks to an episode of 2020 that Cover this case that I'm not going to say the name of because it kind of gives it away. And <laughs> app.com, which I had never heard of. I'm not sure if it's like local to New Jersey because that's where this takes place. But they had day-by-day coverage of the trial that was like really helpful for me. So thank you to all those people. So we're in Neptune City, New Jersey. And yes, it is a town where everyone knew everyone else. <laughs> Okay, but that might actually be true because (laughs) when Russell told me he was from New Jersey, I basically pictured New York. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of from like a smaller like suburb of Texas, like small, not small town, but like small suburb. I went to visit his hometown in New Jersey and I was like, oh. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, yes. (laughs) And I was like, what is this? I didn't know they had farms up here. I mean, it's really small. Oh, Neptune's like right by the water. Yeah. Yeah, it is. All right, so it is 2.46 a.m. on Saturday, December 3rd, 2016. A 911 call comes in, and when dispatch asks what the emergency is, the caller says it's not an emergency. They just wanted to report that there was a car that was parked on the Route 35 bridge in Belmar, New Jersey, which goes right over Shark River. The caller was an Uber driver who'd been driving around late when he'd passed the car, and he said he'd looked in the car, which was a 94 Oldsmobile 88, and he didn't see anyone inside. He said he'd figured the car had broken down and the owner was walking to get help, but it gave him a bad feeling seeing the car abandoned there in the middle of the night, so he decided to call it in and make the report. Hmm. When officers arrived, they saw that the car hadn't been in an accident or anything. It had just been left there, abandoned with the keys still in the car. And when I first read this, like read news reports about this, I pictured this bridge as kind of just like a little like bridge that would go over by you, like a little dinky little bridge. This is like a huge bridge. It's like almost as big as like the Galveston Bridge. Like it's a pretty big bridge. Man, that thing. Yeah. It's much shorter than the Galveston Bridge, but it's like big and tall like that, you know? Yeah. Like the Baytown Bridge. Well, not that big, but yeah. Oh. Not that, that tall. Not that oh. not that tall. 
<laughs> More bridge talk from your two favorite ghosts. We know what we were talking about. Like the Golden Gate Bridge? Smaller or bigger? No, smaller than the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, okay. But like taller than the swamp about- bridges in Louisiana. Okay, got it. What about the bridge to Terabithia? Okay, keep going. <laughs> When officers arrived, they saw that the car hadn't been in an accident or anything. It had just been left there, abandoned, with the keys still in the car. So police got to work tracking down the owner of that car, Michael Stern. Michael was on vacation in Florida at the time, and he'd been really worried about his 19-year-old daughter, Sarah, all day. Or at least all afternoon. She lived with him in New Jersey, but was home alone right now while he was on vacation in Florida. And Sarah's grandmother had called Michael to say that Sarah hadn't been returning any of her text messages. And when Michael tried to get a hold of her, her phone was turned off. So he sent a series of frantic texts, like all caps, call me now kind of texts. Better pick up. Trying to get a hold of her. He'd even sent Sarah's aunt over to the house a little after midnight to check on her. Nobody knew where she was. At around three in the morning, Michael got a call asking him if he knew anything about the Oldsmobile. And at first, he thought the call was a prank. He told the caller that that was the car his daughter usually drove, and then the caller just hung up. And when he tried calling them back, he was routed to an after-hours message for the Monmouth County Prosecutor's Office. But Michael had a nephew on the Neptune First Aid Squad, and so he called him to see if he could get any news. The nephew did some digging, and then he called back to tell him that they had found her car on the bridge with no one inside of it. Michael said a million thoughts were flying through his mind, everything from the car broke down to she's been abducted to what if she jumped? She jumped. That's what I was thinking. He immediately got in the car and drove back from Jersey, from Florida to New Jersey. And he said, you can make pretty good time at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning when there's no traffic. Mm-hmm. Like most 19-year-olds, Sarah always had her phone on her. She was usually very easy to get in touch with. But now she's not answering her phone. She's not responding to texts. And so this abandoned car on the bridge has now turned into a missing person. And it was like they found it at 2.45 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the morning. That's when it was called it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Don't know how long it had been there. What year is this, you said? Or did you? I did. 2016. 2016. So not too long ago. So a little bit about Sarah. Sarah Stern was athletic. She had played softball since elementary school all the way to high school. Her freshman year of high school, her mom passed away due to cancer, and her and her dad really leaned on each other as their support system. She was an only child. They were really close, and they became even closer after her mom passed away. Towards the end of high school, Sarah had always been into art, but she got way more into art and digital media than sports. And she would like paint the window at her school at Christmas time. She was really talented. She was even voted most artistic in her senior yearbook oh. in 2015. Nice superlative. Her senior quote was a quote by Grace Helbig that said, be yourself. Be yourself from the beginning to the end of time. Don't be what you think other people would want you to be. Yes, please retweet. <laughs> she was really creative. She was really sweet. She described herself as a reckless optimist, someone that always looked on the bright side of things. A lot of people cared about this girl. 
After high school, her plan was to go to bartending school so she could like bartend at night and focus on her art during the day. That was like her passion and what she wanted to pursue. So very quickly, police get things moving on this search for Sarah. By 3.15 in the morning, her car was towed off the bridge and officers were heading over to her house in Neptune City where she lived with her dad. The officer's initial thought is that Sarah might have jumped off the bridge and Shark River runs underneath that bridge. And it's not very deep, but the current under the bridge runs really quickly and flows right into the Atlantic Ocean. By 5.30 that morning, the U.S. Coast Guard was out there searching for her body. The officers that went to her house found the back door was open and the lights were on, but Sarah wasn't anywhere inside the house. It was only her dog, Buddy, that was there. And Buddy usually had the whole run of the house, but when they found him, he was locked in his crate. Hmm. Poor Buddy. Poor Buddy. <laughs> what kind of doggy? I'm not totally sure. I'm not totally I'm sure. sure. It was, I'm sure it was a golden retriever. No, it was more no, like was. a cocker spaniel beagle type of dog. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not totally sure. It's a sure. very good boy. It was a very good boy. Best, her best friend. Sarah's best friend. Mm. So officers started canvassing the neighborhood, knocking on doors, and they end up talking to her neighbor, Robin Draper, whose daughter Carly had grown up with Sarah. Knew, she'd known her her whole life. She said that Sarah had brought a bin of her mother's stuff over to her house earlier that day with her friend Liam. Robin told officers that she thought Sarah might be depressed, but she wasn't sure if that meant that she was suicidal. And her mom had passed, you said. Her mom passed away her freshman year of high school. Yeah. Her friend Liam that Robin talked about was Liam McAtasney, and he and Sarah had been friends since childhood, like since they were about six years old, they were super close. But it had never been anything romantic. According to reports, Sarah had always just been more focused on pursuing her art than on dating. But she did have a group of friends that included guys and girls. Yeah, everybody, guys and girls can be friends. Okay. It's it's possible. Okay. Uh, Oh, you disagree. Okay. (laughs) I think they were friends. Yes. After her mother's death in 2013, Sarah grew even closer with the entire McAtasney family, which included Liam's mother, Megan, his twin brother, Seamus, and his sister. Seamus. After high school, Liam moved in with a mutual friend, Preston Taylor, and Preston had been Sarah's date to their junior prom. But he wasn't as close with Sarah as he was with Liam. These names are like really, it's it's so 2016. (laughs) Well, they they are definitely an Irish family, and you should see his mom, Megan, redhead. Mm. Definitely Irish. McAtasney, Liam and Seamus. What, what, what was the other name? Pay, Peyton. No, who's the? Preston. Preston. That's what it is. Yeah, Preston. I'm loving all that. As far as the police know, Liam is now the last person that has been seen with Sarah. So around four in the morning, they go to his apartment, start banging on the door. Liam opens the door, looking really groggy. And he tells the officers that he went to go get food with Sarah around 4.30, and then he had to leave to go to work at Brennan's Steakhouse. And he said he hadn't talked to her since. They ask him if he can call her for them, and he tells them that he hasn't been able to find his phone all day. So they asked him about Sarah's mindset, and Liam said he just knows she'd been trying to get away. She'd been talking a lot about going to Canada. He said that Sarah and her father's relationship had become volatile over the last few months and that she was trying to get away. That's why she was packing up all her things. 
He said her dad was crazy and that Sarah had lost all respect for him after he'd lost like $2 million in bad investments in Disney stock. Oh, how's Disney stock ever down? But I kind of was wondering the same thing. I don't know. Like, what, what would tank Disney stock? And you only lose $2 million in the stock market if you take your money out when you, after it's gone down that far, you know? Yeah, $2 million. Yeah. You just leave it there, guys. There's my stock advice for you. Just leave it stick, in there. No, stick. No, don't do that. We're not – we can't be held liable. Stick to the bridge. Stick to your bridge, yeah. <laughs> Stick Calm to this. the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Wow. We've really reached a new high here. (laughs) The officers left, telling him to call them if he hears from her. So as he's leaving Liam's house, Sergeant Hines calls in the department to ask what they had the car on the bridge listed as, if it was a missing person or what. Because he says it sounds like this girl has a lot of emotional issues. Her father has this new relationship and they're like not getting along. She's been talking about leaving, giving away all her stuff. She's been depressed. like. This he's like, this seems like open and shut case to me. Franny Hines, he's the director of Belmar EMS and Rescue, happened to be a neighbor of Sarah's, known her his whole life. And he's done tons of rescues for a lot of missing people. But this was the first time it had been for somebody he knew. And that made it really difficult for him, he said. But he was on Shark River hours after her car was found there just to see if he could find her. And while there's search and rescue going out trying to find her body, police are now trying to find if this is foul play, if this is a suicide, if she's run away, like they're not sure. Yeah, I feel like all these details are like very odd, like this box of her mom's and this, oh, she wants to go to Canada. Yes. Like, I don't know. They just all feel very like weird. Like for her to just like be abducted maybe by a stranger, it feels like these are all weird details to me. Yeah, they, you know, abduction was never really something that I think the police entertained very much. Yeah. So police are trying to rule people out. And the first person that they need to rule out now is Liam McAtasney, because he was the last person known right now to have seen her alive. So uh, a little after 10 on Saturday morning, they go back to Liam. So this is like seven hours after the car was found. And they tell him that they really need to know everything that he and Sarah talked about, because if he knows where she is and they're wasting all these resources looking for her, it's going to be really bad. They had boats, helicopters, tons of manpower. There were people swimming in the river. And he's like, if you know that this girl ran away and we're wasting all of this on on this, then you need to tell us right now. So they asked Liam if she'd been acting any differently lately. And Liam said in the past, she had a tendency towards self-destructive suicidal behavior and that over the past few months, she'd she'd been telling him how bad the relationship with her dad was and how she just needed to get out of that house. He Mm -hmm. answered all of their questions in really great detail about everything that they'd done that day. He said they went to Taco Bell, then they went back to her house and ate and then walked that stuff over to the Draper's house. Check the receipts. Check the cameras. (laughs) Mickey Shunick was at Taco Bell and we had proof of that. <laughs> no, Mickey Shunick was on her bike and she died. You're talking yeah, but about... But they went to Taco Bell first and they saw it on the camera. That's how they ruled out the oh, friend that she was with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they oh, were on the me. camera. They were on the camera at Taco Bell. They did go to Taco okay. Bell. 
then walked the stuff over to the Draper's house, and then he left to go to work around 4.45. He was on the schedule from like 5 to midnight that night, but they ended up letting him off early around 10. So this information from Liam was helpful because now they're able to make a timeline of Sarah's movements. Liam said that when he got home, he was just hanging out at home uh, with his roommate. And the detective asked Liam if Sarah ever texted or called him. And he said he was missing his phone and he wished he could tell them, but he couldn't because he hadn't been able to find his phone. Nothing really stood out to the officers as unusual with this conversation with Liam. The best case scenario, really what they were all hoping for, was that Sarah had taken off and that Liam maybe knew where she'd gone. But that was just a theory. Like she had like basically run away. Like run away. Yeah. Yeah. So on December 6th, 2016, Sarah's family organized a search for her. Hundreds of people turned up for this search, including Liam and his twin brother Seamus. The family all gathered at the Stern House in Neptune City, and they were like standing out in the front yard. When one of Sarah's cousins, Megan Barr, found something, a cell phone lying next to the walkway that was beside the driveway of the Stern home. And she knew Sarah carried a green iPhone and this was not a green iPhone. So she handed the phone off to Michael Stern, Sarah's dad, who turned it into police, who discovered that it was Liam's missing cell phone. That feels very odd. Yeah, I you know, I, but I'm like, but he was there, you know, all afternoon with her. Yeah. Like, he said he was there. So if he lost his phone, that's probably where he lost it. It was at her house. Yeah. They saw that he had several missed calls from his roommate, Preston Taylor, as well as a phone call to Sarah on the afternoon that she went missing, which Liam said was him calling Stern when they went to Taco Bell. So I'm like, yeah. were they not together? I couldn't really tell from the video. But also they see that the timer app on the phone was activated around 4, 4 o'clock or so, 4.15. Hmm. Detectives were hoping to find some surveillance cameras somewhere along the route that Sarah would have taken to the bridge. Like we saw in the Mickey Shunick case, them able to follow right. her whole movement. Literally like check-ins. Yes. But there was nothing there. Nothing. But then they find that there are surveillance cameras under the bridge and another camera on the railroad bridge that's right next to it. So they're really yeah. excited about that until they find out that those cameras had not worked in years. So <gasps> another dead end. Yeah. How does that? Yeah. How does that just happen? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. these just are non-functioning. Like, right. Taxpayers. What about my taxpayer dollars? Sarah's neighbors did have some surveillance cameras and Michael thought there might be something helpful on there because they're they were like across the street and down a few houses. So they kind of had this view all the way down the street of like Sarah's house in her driveway. So they see Liam and Sarah coming back and forth to the house and then they see Liam leaving right around the time he said he had left to go to work corroborating his story. There were also security cameras posted outside Brennan's that confirmed that he'd been at work. But when he left for work, only he left. She didn't. Yeah, Sarah was still at the house. house. Mm -hmm. Much later, around 1145 p.m., Sarah's car was seen backing out of the driveway, but it was too dark to tell who was actually driving. So there's about a three hour time period between when Sarah left And when her car was found on the bridge, where the detectives have no idea what she was doing or who she was with, from like 11.45 to like 2.45. 2.45. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. 
A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. So three days after she disappeared, Detective Brian Weisbrot brought Liam in to the station for an interview. This is like the third time they've talked to him, but the first time that they've like brought him into the station. Does he have a lawyer yet at any point? Not yet. He he will okay. very shortly, but not yet. Liam answered all their questions. He was very cooperative, always very cooperative. He told them that he lived with Preston Taylor, who was another friend of Sarah's. They'd all gone to high school together. They uh-huh. asked him the extent of their relationship, and he said they were pretty close friends, but she'd never been his girlfriend or anything. They asked, like, would you call her your girlfriend? He said no. They asked him if she'd ever shown any interest in any boys or any girls. And Liam said not really, but that she had been known to like obsess over girls in the past. He told them about his ex-girlfriend Maggie, and he said Sarah had become obsessed with her. He said that Sarah would call Maggie and say things like, if you don't come here right now, I'm going to kill myself. Whoa. And then Liam kind of turned the tables on police a little bit. He asked them a question. He said, if Sarah has jumped off the bridge, what are the odds that she isn't already somewhere way out in the ocean by now? What a bizarre thing to articulate. You know who disagrees with you? His attorney, Diaz Cobo. 
who says he doesn't understand everyone's fascination with this question. But Detective Weisbrot also found the question very odd. Like if my friend had potentially jumped off a bridge, I'm not going to be like, what are the odds that she's already in the ocean? I mean, you probably would say that because you're a true crime aficionado. <laughs> but so not don't, in that just tone. Hold your tongue. I would be like, oh yeah, my God, or that early. Like, what if she's already in the ocean? Yeah. And they never find her. <laughs> like, I'm and not And then I'll like, have to replace, I'll have to find a new co-host. That would be your first concern. Right. But you know, yeah. we don't like totally judge people based on their behavior after a friend, you know, in a traumatic Yeah, I know. But time. you know, I know <laughs> you don't. I get to reserve <laughs> when I apply that rule. Yeah. <laughs> yes. True. Liam's mother, Megan McAtasney, she got a call from her sister who told her that she shouldn't be having Liam meeting with the police without talking to a lawyer first. So even though Liam had been very cooperative early on in the investigation, after a while, he hired a lawyer and he stopped speaking to police. So when Liam stopped talking, police went to his friend and roommate, Preston Taylor, to try and get the answers that they wanted. So the next day, December 7th, they called Preston in and they asked him what Liam had told him about his day with Sarah. And Preston said there was nothing out of the ordinary about this day. He basically just confirmed everything that Liam had told them. There were no inconsistencies in their stories. Mm -hmm. They then ask him what he thinks happened to Sarah. And he says that based on the stories that he'd heard about her relationship with her dad and how just unstable she'd seemed, he thinks she jumped. But Detective Weisbrot was not as convinced as Preston seemed to be that something hadn't happened to Sarah. They're a week in, and they really have no idea what happened to her or where she is. The search for her was focused primarily on the Shark River Inlet where the car was found. A reward was being offered on the case, but they just couldn't find her. Carly Draper, Robin's daughter, the neighbor... She said she saw Sarah and Liam that day and that Sarah had seemed really happy and that she'd asked Carly to hang out that day. But she had told Carly that she was wanting to move to Canada. This was like a thing that kind of everybody knew about her, that she had been wanting to move to Canada. It's a great place. Yeah, but if that's the case, if she's in Canada, why did she go without her car? How did she get there without her car? Yeah, I mean, also, like, has anyone, like, checked all of her things in her room? Like, wouldn't she have packed up a lot of her things? And I don't know, maybe her dog. Yeah. And nothing was missing like that. And also, I'm sorry, I'm not just moving without my dog. And also, where would a 19 year old even get the money to make this move possible? Does she even have a passport? I mean, I have a lot of questions. She does have a passport. And all of that was in her room. Her passport, her ID, everything was in her room. But it turned out that Sarah actually had just come into some money. I'm going to tell you this story, and you're going to want more details about it. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you that they don't exist. Okay. Okay, great. But I'm still, let's go through those motions. All right. All right. Her family had a second home in Avon-by-the-Sea, which is like the most British-sounding U.S. city name I've ever heard, and I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. And... She and Liam were at that house a few months before when she found a shoebox that had been left there by her mother that was full of cash. No, that's not what I thought you meant by came into some money. <laughs> like not stumbled across a shoebox that was on her floorboard somewhere. It was like, like I thought it was like an inheritance of sorts. It was like thousands and thousands, like tens of thousands of dollars. That's a very big shoebox. 
Yeah. And when Sarah had found all that money, she called her aunt to tell her about it. And her aunt had told her to go put the money in a safety deposit box and to not tell anyone about the money. She had spent about $10,000 of it and then put the rest in a safety deposit box at Kearney Bank in Bradley Beach. Did you say she spent $10,000? Yeah. Is that not like a lot of money to spend at 19? I think you'd be surprised how easy it is to spend $10,000. <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I don't know. But just to kind of give you a picture, Neptune City, Avon by the Sea, Bradley Beach, they're all in these like little areas in, of New Jersey that are right next to each other. So like you got Neptune City over here on one side of the freeway. Directly across the freeway is Bradley Beach, where the bank was. You know, and this, these are all obviously coastal mm -hmm. little towns. Then next to Bradley Beach uh, on the south side is Avon by the Sea, where the second house was. And then there was Belmar right down from Avon, where the car was found, just so you have a little picture of the geography here. Yes, great. Did a lot of playing on Google Maps for this. <laughs> <laughs> the day that she disappeared, she went to the bank and accessed that safety deposit box. Oh. All right. Okay. So when detectives got word from the bank that Sarah had been there that day and that she had a safety deposit box, they went over to the bank. They wanted to know what had been in the box that she'd accessed. And the bank has a two-key system, meaning Sarah has one key and the bank manager has another key, and it takes both keys to open this box. Oh, no. Well, detectives are able to get them to open the box. I'm not sure how. But, yeah. like, just to – like, I'm sure they had a court order that they had to right. comply with. Like, nobody else could – you couldn't just go in there, like – Just one person. Right. So they're able to get the box open, and inside is $25,000 in cash. But this cash is like very old cash, and it's all in really bad condition. Like a lot of the bills are just falling apart. Ew. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything else about this money or where it came from or it why it It sounds like it, it came from the Titanic, like that scene <laughs> of the Titanic where they just find all that money underwater and it's like falling apart and muddy. That's exactly what I pictured. And I know this money wasn't on the Titanic, but it's, that's where, where – How do you know I'm that? At. They're I in don't. New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Detectives aren't sure if the money has anything to do with her disappearance, but it's definitely weird. Or the weird. Titanic. Or, or if the Titanic has anything to do with her disappearance. But it's definitely weird. First of yeah. all, if Sarah was trying to disappear and she'd gone to the bank that day, why not take all the money out with her? She'd, she'd withdrawn like $7,000. Why leave the rest behind? This money basically eliminated the chance that she had run away. And that was confirmed when detectives found all that stuff I told you about. Her social security card, passport. Mm -hmm. They even found Canadian currency inside her bedroom. Why would you run away to Canada and leave your Canadian currency behind? I'm sorry. I was – she's not leaving the dog. That's what I'm set on. Yeah. Yeah. She's not leaving her dog. All – yeah. And these are all things she would need if she was running to Canada. So if she hadn't run away, that left suicide as an option. But detectives were not convinced that foul play wasn't involved, especially because Sarah wasn't alone at the bank. Liam had oh. gone there with her. <gasps> and police had known all about this little trip to the bank when they interviewed Liam that final time. But when detectives asked him about his day, he left out that little trip to the bank. Oh, he didn't share that? No. He said that after they'd gone through Taco Bell, they'd gone back to her house to eat and then played video games for the rest of the afternoon. Detectives had to ask him. Did you go to the bank? And he said, oh, oh, yeah, I was with her. I was on the way back from Taco Bell. He stayed in the car. He's not in the videos, like, coming into the branch. 
But he told detectives that she had a lockbox full of money there that she'd found in the Avon house. But he said he had no idea what she was doing inside the bank. Oh, really? Right. They asked him if he knew how much money was in the box, and he said he didn't. He said she'd just given him a range, that it could be anywhere from $20,000 to $100,000. He had no idea. That's very wide. Yeah, exactly. And the search for her was turning up dead end after dead end. Seven weeks after she disappeared, there was still no sign of Sarah anywhere. And it's looking more and more like this was just going to end up as a cold missing persons case. Michael Stern was up at the police station almost every single day trying to get updates. What are you doing about my daughter's case? But there just wasn't anything to tell him. There was nothing out there. And then detectives get a major break in the case. Without this break, it's almost guaranteed that they would not have solved this case. There was this aspiring filmmaker named Anthony Curry that had gone to high school with Liam and Sarah. He'd been voted as most likely to become famous in their senior yearbook. That's the superlative you want. (laughs) Absolutely. He'd been friends with Liam since around junior year of high school. And in January of 2017, so like a month after that car was found, detectives got a call from Anthony saying that he had information for detectives that they might want to hear. So he met up with them and he told them that on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, just like a week and a half or so before the car was found, before Sarah went missing, he'd gone to Liam's house in Neptune City. And while he was there, Liam told him he had an idea for a movie that Anthony could make. His idea was of a murder where a girl was strangled and then thrown off a bridge. (gasps) Anthony said that Liam was hyped up over this idea. But he was always giving him ideas for movies. Like, Anthony just didn't think anything more about this particular idea until Sarah's car was found on that bridge and she disappeared. But even then, he was kind of like, I just want to stay out of it, you know. In January of 2017, he started getting Snapchat messages every day from Liam, urgently asking to meet up with Anthony. The youths in the Snapchat, it's the only way they communicate. (laughs) You can't handle it. The youths in their Snapchat. I know. I don't get Snapchat either. I don't understand why it's like you could just text the person, but they take a photo of like the concrete and then like write the text there. It'll be like, it's not even like they're taking a selfie and responding. It's like, let me take a picture of this blank wall. And then they type out the text. Let me take a picture of this tree. And and that's how they're texting. Well, that's weird because there's a chat feature on Snapchat. I know. (laughs) It kills me. I'm like, y'all think we're dumb or old? (laughs) Y'all don't even know how to use the platform that you're using. Look, I've got a youth living with me. I need to ask her about this. Please, please do. I will. It's, I think, whatever. It has to do with the streaks. Okay. The streaks aren't a thing anymore. Streaks aren't a thing anymore. They don't care about their streaks anymore. That's what I hear. The college kids do. I don't know. (laughs) Nobody can. Well, the college, because they're old now. The kids, they don't care about the streaks anymore. The real kids. (laughs) The real kids. See, that's the thing about you and I. We got a pulse (laughs) on everyone from ages like 12 to 22. (laughs) (laughs) And then like 90 on. Well, my kids are 10. They still, they don't care about streaks because like none of them have Snapchat legally. (laughs) Legally. In Mm. January of 2017, he starts getting these Snapchat messages. Liam seems scared, and he was making Anthony really uncomfortable. So he went to police and told them about this little chat that they'd had on Thanksgiving. And the police hatched a scheme 
and police schemes to catch asshole murderers are my absolute favorite. Is this another sting at a McDonald's? Because uh, close. That. It's not at a McDonald's. They basically pimped Anthony's ride out with hidden video and audio surveillance equipment. Oh, I love that. And on January 31st, Anthony like made up an excuse to meet up with Liam saying he needed to borrow money for a camera. And he agreed to meet him in Bradley Beach. So Liam drove up and he parked several cars down from Anthony. And then he came and got into Anthony's car that is all mm-hmm. fixed Bud. up with, yes, <laughs> recording equipment, video and audio. So Anthony starts asking Liam questions and Liam tells him, like, you know, I got to do this and starts like patting him down. He's like, you understand why I got to do this, right? And just like pats him <laughs> down like, like he's looking for a wire. Like, as if that happens often. <laughs> right. And as Liam, I'm going to start patting you down when we go to, to get wine. Well, I think the funny part is he's patting him down when the whole car is or decked is, out yeah. in right. recording equipment. It's like you're standing outside in the wild. Right. So as Liam's patting him down, Anthony's just like thinking, holy shit, this is real. Like, he did this. Mm-hmm. He said it wasn't hard to get Liam to talk. It was like he'd been waiting to spill his guts. He really wanted to talk about what he'd done. He said he had the FBI up his ass about killing Sarah, and he talked about going in for interrogations with the police and how the case had gone up levels and now it was a federal case. He said the worst part was he thought he'd be walking away with 50 grand or 100 grand right in his pocket, but she only had like 10 grand. And the cash was in such poor condition, he wasn't even sure he could do anything with it or deposit it anywhere or anything. He said he'd kept the money in his house for a while, but then he stopped trusting Preston, so he went and buried it in Sandy Hook. Then Liam described what he'd done. He said that, you know, while he was at Sarah's house with her, she went to walk out the front door and he just grabbed her and choked her out, dragging her back. And he said that her dog just laid there and watched him kill her. He said he picked her up, which is like the most disturbing thing I think he said this whole time, honestly. Yeah, like, obviously. That was a comment that he made. Chose, yeah. He said he picked her up by the neck and made her hang in the air until she urinated, <gasps> said his name, and then that was it. And they were friends for like Since years. like six years old. Since they were six years mind. old. Men and women can't be friends. <laughs> <laughs> he laid her down on the ground and said she looked like she was having a seizure or something. So he stuffed a shirt down her throat so she wouldn't throw up and then held his fingers over her nose. And then he set a timer on his phone. He said it took half an hour after he hit start for her to die. Way longer than he was expecting. But he said, you know, that's the thing about heists. There's just so much you can't you can't account for. You just don't know before it happens. Who is this kid? It was like a learning. I would really like to know. I mean, what and, in the world? Uh, yeah. I mean, you've known this person your whole life, basically. She's like your best friend. Yeah. I mean, that like freaks me out. I know. Like, I've known you less time than that. Well, I promise I will never you know choke I mean? you out for ten. Well, I don't know. I'm sure she thought that too. I'm oh, sure that's she did. it for ten. Th- just for yeah, I wouldn't do it for ten thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, that's concerning. I especially wouldn't do it for just ten thousand dollars. I wouldn't yeah, okay, do it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> especially ten thousand dollars in Titanic money. <sighs> Right, which I will say, that's legal tender. I mean, they can't not take that money. So I don't know what he's talking about there, but 
it's stolen from a person that you murdered. So that's yeah. the real problem with trying to deposit it is it's so obviously from that shoebox. money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Liam talks about dropping his phone at Sarah's house. He said that he lost it and he couldn't find it and he had to go to work. Uh, so he had to leave it. Anthony asked him, like, dude, what were you doing? And Liam said, strangling someone. I couldn't find it. And it ended up being out in the driveway. And he said, I must have dropped it when I was crawling to get to in, in the car because he, he knew there was those security cameras. So he like crawled so that they wouldn't see him. What? what? That's so weird. Also, like, interesting that you're like concerned about getting to work on time, but not like finding your cell phone. That to me yeah. is evidence. Right. Also, like, retrace your steps, dude. Like, it can't be that hard. You didn't go that many places. Yeah, it was right there one, on yeah. the driveway. Preston then came home and hid Sarah's body in the bushes. And later, they put her body upright in her car, drove it to that bridge, and dumped her over. And he's saying all of this very matter-of-factly. Like, he could have been talking about literally anything. He said he'd been hoping for more money, but that he had enough to live comfortably and just throw parties all the time for now, you know. He tells Anthony that he is now the only person that knows all of this except for Preston. And he doesn't want Preston to know that Anthony knows because he doesn't want Preston to think he's got to go and kill Anthony now. You know, yeah, that would be so, so nice. Yeah. Right. Detectives are watching this. They had no idea that Preston was involved at all. Or that they were probably going to get all this detail. Right. They'd suspected Liam for a while. I'm sure yeah. they were thrilled at the amount of talking this guy wanted to do. But Preston wasn't even on their radar. So they decide that it would be best to talk to Preston first before they go and confront Liam with all of this. Because maybe they can get Preston, they can turn him against Liam. Because obviously Liam is the one that like actually killed her and like was well, the mastermind. why are they trying to do that? They have all the info. I guess because, yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Like anything could yeah, happen. Yeah. They want to make sure, like they know he did it because he just said he did it. So they need to make sure they have all as much as they can yeah. against him to make sure that they get him. So Preston attended Brockdale Community College and or Brookdale. Sorry, Preston attended Brookdale Community College and police knew when he'd be driving over there for class. So they were able to pull him over on his way to class and brought him into the prosecutor's office. So they told Preston, hey, we know your involvement. We know what you did. We know what Liam did. We know everything. Now we want to know why Liam did what he did. And at first, Preston tries to play dumb, which is obviously the way to go here. But unfortunately yeah. for Preston, like this was not a bluff. The police really did know yeah. everything. So Preston just says, what did Liam do? And the police are like, well, he killed Sarah. And then they say, you knew that, correct? But they're just like, well, he killed Sarah. You knew that, right? Yeah. You knew that. And Preston says, Yes. And then he went on for what prosecutors said was a 52-page transcript describing what he did. Oh, no, thank you. Preston said he got home and Liam was absolutely frantic because he'd lost his phone. And actually, police would later discover that Liam had left work and gone home several times that night to rummage around trying to find his missing phone. There's video surveillance of him coming and going throughout his shift, so he just didn't know where it was. Preston told police that Liam said, dude, I did it. And Preston knew that he meant that he'd killed Sarah. Preston oh took Sarah to junior prom, by the way, if you've forgotten that. Oh. Like, he was her date to junior prom. I don't understand this. It makes me 
I think I this one like really freaks me out about that because everything else, I mean, maybe not. Maybe I, because we got parents killing kids and vice versa. I mean, I don't know why this one shocks me more than like, you know, a kid know. killing his parents to throw a party. But there's just something about this because I think like you really don't know when you meet someone to like become friends with them. Like your parents, you don't have a choice on that, right? Like you're born, those are your parents. Right. But like your your friends, you're like self-selecting these people. You know what's interesting is you have this reaction to some of these cases of like, that freaks me out because you start to, it seems like you start to analyze everybody in your circle and like, are they going to turn on me like this? And that never even occurs to me. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I, I mean, we see this all the time where these things just come out of nowhere, but I still have that like. 16 year old mentality of I'm invincible like this nah, could never girl, happen head to on me. a swivel <laughs> always trying to get got always trying to snatch me up uh good I mean you know stay vigilant but don't you know don't go <sighs> overboard it's a sweet spot <laughs> yeah exactly so Liam told Preston that the body was still at Sarah's house and they needed to get rid of it that night but Liam said he had to go to work So Preston would have to go over to the house and move the body and get the safe where Sarah kept all the money. And Preston actually took the detectives back to Sarah's house and walked them through everything that happened. And he's that's what freaks me out more than my friend trying to do something to me. It's my friend coming to me like, hey, I'm gonna need you to help me hide a body. And the answer we've we've talked about it. Let's review is no. So don't involve me. I don't want to know about it. Your answer, your answer should be yes. And then you make a plan to help that person. And then while you're waiting for that plan, you go to tell the police. Because if a friend comes and says, I need you to help me bury a body, you don't know how they're going to take no in that state of mind. They just killed someone. They can do it again. The answer is sure. Wait, wait real quick. Let me grab my phone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So Preston took detectives over to Sarah's house and walked them through everything that he did. So he said when he first got there, he found her body in a bathroom and he pulled her out and carried her to the bushes. And as Preston is walking them through every step of what he did, his affect is very flat. There's no emotion. It's just, here's the facts. He said Liam came over to the house and they dragged Sarah's body. He's even like showing them how he held her as he dragged her from the bushes to the fence. And then they put the safe nearby. And then the two of them tossed Sarah and the safe over the fence, which was like right by the driveway. And then they got Sarah into the passenger seat of her car. And then Liam got in her car and Preston got in his car and they drove off. And I'm not really sure because Preston's car, to my knowledge, was never, ever seen on this surveillance camera. They knew about these surveillance cameras because that's why Liam is like crawling along yeah. the grass. So they must have known to like park that car out of out sight. Of yeah. View. Preston then took police to the multiple locations where the safe was buried. There were actually two safes because Liam took the money out of Sarah's safe and then buried that empty safe in Shark River. And then he put the money into another safe that he buried in Sandy Hook. Hmm. So they got to Sandy Hook where he'd buried the safe in a very overgrown, nondescript area that was like right east of a lighthouse. That was their landmark to find it. And police found a small sentry safe that looks like a fat briefcase with the number 002 stamped on the briefcase. 
While Preston is still with the detectives, other officers go out to arrest Liam for Sarah's murder. And after he's arrested, they search his car and police look at his car keys. And on his keychain, they find a key to a sentry safe with the number 002 stamped on the key. It obviously matches that safe. They use that key to open the safe that they found in Sandy Hook. And it worked. And inside was a little over $9,000 in cash. Titanic money. The Titanic money. Police asked Liam if he was being represented by an attorney, and he said he was. So they did not interview him then. <laughs> yeah, they're probably like, if not, you should be. So yeah, get yeah. on it. The next part was the most difficult for detectives. They now had to sit Michael Stern down and tell him what had happened to his daughter. And I cannot imagine the feeling to find out that it was your daughter's best friend, someone you'd known since he was a kid, someone that had been welcome in your home so many yeah. times. Two months to the day since Sarah's car was found on that bridge, Liam and Preston were arrested for her murder. Sarah's childhood friends. Ugh. Megan McIntosney is Liam's mother. And she said that she was making dinner when she saw a bright light in the backyard through the window. She thought Liam and his friends were making a movie or something. But when she went back to say hi to everyone, she realized it was the police and they were going through Liam's trash. And she asked where Liam was and all the police would tell her was that she needed to get back. So Megan is trying to find where Liam is. And it wasn't until nearly three in the morning that she was finally informed that Liam had been arrested for Sarah's murder. She could not believe it. Literally could yeah, not believe it. Truly cannot. When Sarah's body had failed to wash back onto shore, she'd assumed that Sarah had run away and for whatever reason didn't tell anyone where she was going. That's why she'd been giving her belongings away. And that's why she'd gone to the bank that day. And so she didn't understand why Liam was being charged with this. Right. Detectives got Preston to take them to the Route 35 bridge where her car was parked. They wanted him to show them the exact spot where they'd thrown her body over the bridge. Preston said that Liam was going to do it all by himself and then run over the median of the bridge to where Preston was parked and hop into the passenger side of Preston's car. Like that's where he was going to wait for him. But Sarah was too heavy. And so they had walkie talkies that they were using to communicate. And so Liam like walkied over to Preston and told him to come help him. And Liam had her by the shoulders and hoisted her over the railing. And then Preston like pushed her the rest of the way over this bridge. Detectives wanted to make sure that they really had enough to nail Liam. Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. We've seen before that taped confessions might not be enough. Who knew what the defense could come up with? I know. Who knew what the defense could come up with? They wanted to make sure that they had a slam dunk case. So they made a deal with Preston Taylor, who agreed to testify against Liam. He appeared in court on April 24th, 2017, and he admitted to taking part in the robbery of Sarah for a $3,000 cut of the $10,000 that they stole. Oh, my God. He, I know. He pleaded guilty to robbery, conspiracy to commit robbery, disturbing or desecrating human remains, conspiracy to desecrate human remains, tampering oh. with physical evidence, and hindering his and Liam's apprehension. In exchange for him pleading guilty to all of this, the prosecution would waive the first-degree murder charge, which they also had charged him with, meaning that he could be sentenced to 10 to 20 years. During his sentencing, 
The prosecution argued that if it weren't for him, Sarah would still be alive and that anything under 15 years would not be in the interest of justice. So Preston Taylor was sentenced to 18 years in prison and a $10,000 fine. And the judge explained that the $10,000 was the amount stolen from Sarah and that he did not understand why Preston, someone in college, would commit a crime like this for an amount of money that he could easily earn himself. Yeah. Liam's mother thinks Preston's entire story is a big fabrication, and she says she doesn't have anything nice to say about Preston Taylor. She's convinced that the confession video with Anthony is totally bogus because, according to her, that's not the tone of voice that he uses when he's talking about something serious. And that tells her that this was all an act. It couldn't possibly be because he's never talked to her about something as hideous as murdering a person. Right. How do you know what your kid's going to sound like talking about murder if they've never talked about murdering someone to you before? Right. Liam's defense attorney said that this was an audition. It was just Liam trying to impress Anthony, who mostly made horror films. Liam had been writing scripts for Anthony. He'd been working with him on, on his movies. And Anthony says he can tell the difference between reality and fiction and that the conversation with Liam was reality. It was not an audition. Yeah, also, it wasn't like, hey, bro, come audition in my car. They're telling a story of exactly what happened. Right. That's not Sarah's dad, Michael, is like, what was Liam auditioning for? There, there was no yeah. audition. What was he going to be in? This was a conversation. I wonder if people realize how dumb that stuff sounds. Like, that's probably the only thing the defense could come up with. And I mean, then I'm how like, else are you gonna? Know. What else are you going to say? How else are you going to explain away that? I know, but you video? know when you get like, when you're the defense attorney, you're just like, damn it. We got to come up with. Yeah. Something. Well, he was just trying to impress Anthony. So he made up all these very specific details about Real how he killed things. this. How he killed his best friend who's currently missing. Like, so let's just think, okay, let's say that that's true. Let's say that this was an audition or he was just trying to impress Anthony by saying that he killed her. All right. This isn't just some random person that he happened to, like, have heard of her murder. This was his, like, really close friend who's currently missing. Yeah. And you're going to make up a story that you were the one that killed her? A story that fits every single piece of evidence that they have? Like, first of all, good for you. What a story. But also, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Good luck getting cast for the main character in prison. Right. Liam's attorney said that Anthony totally made up that story from Thanksgiving and is now pointing the finger at Liam to try to bolster his own film career. He basically tried to make it sound like Anthony's like a fledgling, like his career sinking. And I'm like, the kid is 19 years old. Like, there's no such thing also, as a successful filmmaker at 19. <laughs> how is this going to like bolster his film career? It's not like these jurors are like, I mean, what is this? Right. Like you think like, no, this, this notoriety getting... is going to get him like a producer to look his way to like fund his movies? Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's. How would this help? He wasn't an actor who was like trying to get 15 minutes. Like yeah. a filmmaker is like a totally different way, pathway to, <laughs> to fame. That's so weird. Megan says his mom, Liam's mom, says mm -hmm. that Liam loved and adored Sarah and that he's just not capable of doing this. And I, mm -hmm. I do, I understand why Megan McIntosney can't believe that Liam killed Sarah. Yeah, I can't either. But that video, the things he says in that video match the evidence. 
He talks about losing his cell phone at her house. It was found. He told Anthony that he must have dropped it in the driveway when he's crawling out of her house, and his cell phone was later found in the driveway. That matches. Yeah. He's, he's got the key ring that matches the briefcase thing. He's, yes. I mean, obviously the safe's being buried. That's like, hello, come yeah. on. That point's right to you. You got the key to the safe on your key ring. But I'm talking about this video specifically, what he talks about on it, that they're saying he just made up all this, oh, this yeah. whole story. But I'm saying why he couldn't have just made it all up because it all fits with the evidence. He said that he had to crawl to get into the car because there's a security camera across the street. And that when he backed out, he had to make sure that he looked exactly like her. So he had spent months watching her back up her car so that he could do it exactly like she does. He talked about how he and Preston used walkie-talkies to communicate, and they found the walkie-talkies. He talked about setting a timer to time himself on how long it would take for her to die. And the timer app on his phone was used at the time that he would have been killing her, or about that time. Do you think they use walkie-talkies to avoid using cell phones? Yeah. It's pretty, you know, it's one bright thing they did. I was just thinking. I never thought about that. Yeah, definitely. Don't do it, people. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. It's definitely not Walkie-talkies don't brilliant. ping. Yeah. What, do walkie-talkies ping pong? I don't know. <laughs> also, he got a new phone when his old phone went missing. He never programmed Sarah's name into the new one because <gasps> he knew she wasn't coming back. Yeah. Yeah, I would have never thought about that. So the prosecution was seeking life in prison without parole for Liam, and he is charged with murder, felony murder, robbery, conspiracy to commit robbery, desecrating human remains, hindering apprehension, and tampering with evidence. All seven charges. Line them up. The prosecution said that the only deal that they would accept with Liam would be for him to just plead guilty to all seven charges against him, which would send him to prison for the rest of his life. They're like, if you would just like to do that, then we don't have to go through this whole rigmarole of a trial. Yeah. So Liam did not do that, obviously. Like, he has nothing to lose by going to trial. Yeah. So on May 15th, 2017, he pleaded not guilty. The audacity. Yeah, I know. On July 15th, 2017, a memorial service was held for Sarah, and her friends talked about her artwork that she called Practicing Reckless Optimism. And how through her artwork, Sarah lives on to her father. Michael Stern set up a memorial for Sarah on the bridge where her car was found. And he says he wants his daughter to be remembered as an artist and a friend and a good and wonderful person. Yeah. Wow. January 23rd, 2019, Liam's trial began at the Monmouth County Courthouse. This would be the first no-body homicide case to go to trial in Monmouth County since 1975, and it does make things much tougher. You need a lot of corroborating evidence to prove a no-body crime. Because they never found Sarah's body, it would be really important that the prosecution was able to eliminate the other two possibilities, that she fled to Canada or that she committed suicide. And the prosecution Mm -hmm. started out strong. They put Preston Taylor on the stand as the first witness, and he testified that he and Liam had talked about specific plans to kill Sarah starting six months prior to her death. (sighs) He said that Liam had learned that she'd found between $50,000 and $100,000 in a shoebox in the Avon house, which matched exactly with what he'd said in the recorded video with Anthony Curry. Liam told him it was an amount worth killing someone over. 
And <gasps> what? L- yes. It's definitely not. It is definitely not. And Liam had come up with a plan, which originally was to burglarize her house and rob her. But when he found out that Sarah kept the money in a safe deposit box, it escalated to a plan to kill her. So their plan oh was their plan was to convince Sarah to take a trip with Liam to Canada or California so that she would go and take the money out for this trip and then they would kill her and steal the money. Mm. They decided that Liam would be the one to strangle her. Preston said that there was never any set date or anything to carry out the robbery. This was just what they'd talked about. He really didn't think Liam was actually going to do it. This is what he says on the stand. Right. But when Liam called him to tell him that he was on the way to the bank and this was his chance to get the money, Preston knew he was going to kill her. And he still didn't do anything about it. So I don't think the fact that he thought he was joking really, that doesn't really get him off of anything in my mind. Preston testified that Liam had told him what to say when police interviewed him. He was supposed to say things that would make Sarah look unstable. Like she was a closeted lesbian. Like remember that story that yeah, Liam told obsessed with-, with his ex-girlfriend? Yeah, that was obviously yeah. a lie. Liam had told police that Sarah had gotten multiple calls from different family members in the days before her car was like in the days before she disappeared. And everyone yeah. was saying how worried they were about her. But the prosecution put on five relatives that contradicted this, like her cousin Hmm. Michelle and her aunt Linda, that testified that Sarah wasn't suicidal and that she hadn't run off. Michelle described Sarah as happy-go-lucky and said she'd been her usual happy-go-lucky self in the days before her disappearance. Michelle said that that, uh, Sarah had been planning on taking a trip to Canada with Liam and that she was really excited to be going with him. So, yeah, like that's what happened. Yeah, she thinks she's going on a trip to Canada with her best friend. She goes out and takes out 10 grand from her safety deposit box to pay for this trip. Probably going to pay for both of them, you know, to go on this trip. Mm -hmm. Linda testified that Sarah had been planning to move to Canada with Liam, but she convinced her to wait until the summer of 2017 because Sarah also wanted to keep taking care of their 96 year old grandma. And. She also had plans like an after Christmas trip to Broadway, and she just spent $2,000 on a surgery for her dog. She bought Christmas gifts for her grandmother. These are all things that would indicate that she wasn't planning on leaving Leaving. anytime soon or taking her own life anytime soon. From day one of this investigation, when police were just interviewing Liam outside of his house as just a friend of Sarah's, not a suspect or anything, from the very beginning... Liam had tried to paint this picture of Sarah having all of these issues with her dad. There is police body cam footage from that entire conversation. And Liam is talking about how he's been friends with Sarah since the first grade and that he knows she definitely has a lot of trust issues with her dad. But when police analyzed the text messages between Sarah and her father, there was nothing there to indicate that it was anything like Liam said. The last text exchange between Sarah and Michael was Sarah asking him, like, when are you coming back from Florida? And she's loaded the text with emojis. There's like the sunglass smiley emoji, the palm tree emoji, a hand-waving emoji, Mm. a red car emoji. Like, it's a very, like, cute and, like, friendly and upbeat text message. Well, I was wondering when you said her dad set up the foundation. I mean, regardless of how the relationship was, I know a parent could do that. But I was like, oh, like, when you just said that before, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, maybe things weren't like, so that makes more sense. Yeah, I think it was all lies. 
Mm-hmm. He responded to that, like, when are you coming back from Florida? And he sent her two pictures from his trip. One was a rainbow and one was of the castle at Disney, all lit up with lights. And she responds, Aww. wow, it looks so pretty with the lights. And she uses the star emoji and the shooting star emoji. Aww. Like, I don't know about you, but when I don't have a good relationship with someone, I'm not like loading my text to them with really cheerful emojis. Yeah, that's not happening. Under cross-examination, the defense asked Preston if he'd seen any vomit or urine on the floor because Liam had told him that she'd thrown up and urinated while he strangled her. And Preston said no, that he didn't see anything on the carpet. (laughs) The defense tried to use this to say, look, obviously Liam was lying in that confession video because there was no vomit or urine on the carpet. Like, because these, like, there's certain details that don't line up in that video then that means that the whole video is is a lie. And I think if you look at the whole video and look at everything, you see that it yeah. does match up. Like, it like matches up really well. That was cleaned up, or maybe you didn't see it, or maybe he just exaggerated that part. because He also said unhinged. that she was up, holding her up when she urinated, and it was on her pants. So then he would have laid her down yeah. But there wouldn't be like a puddle of urine. And then he stuffed a shirt down her throat when she was having the seizure. So she wouldn't. Yeah. So she wouldn't have thrown up. So, yeah. Mm. Throughout all of the testimony, Liam was pretty stoic. He really didn't show a lot of emotion. But he did get, he did tear up a little. And he had to like bat at his eyes while a former co-worker of his testified about, uh, just praised him on his professionalism at his job. He got really choked up there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Day five of the trial, Michael Stern testified, and he said that he tried to look Liam in the eye during his testimony, but Liam just refused to look at him the whole time that he was on the stand. He testified that basically everything Liam said was a big made up ball of lies. He said that he'd never had millions of dollars invested in Disney stock. Like, what a weird thing to make up. (laughs) Okay, good, because I did think that was weird. (laughs) Yeah. He said that he and Sarah disagreed about the 2016 presidential race, which I think everybody can assume what that means. Yeah. But that other than that, they had a they still had a normal, loving relationship for her birthday in March. He'd given Sarah these like Timberland boots and some Nutella Nutella snacks. She'd posted photos of the gifts to her Instagram with the caption. My dad knows me so well. And hashtag my dad is the best. Like. This is not someone that, like, wants to get away from their dad so much. I mean, it's true. We don't always put the truth out on social media. And, like, these posts don't necessarily mean there wasn't anything wrong with their relationship. But I do think you take that plus you take the texts in their phone and the testimony from the rest of the family. I think it shows they had a pretty normal relationship. Like, she did want right. to move to Canada, but it wasn't in this runaway, I got to get away from my dad kind of thing. It was It's a, probably like I'm – in my early 20s and like trying to figure like that's just like she, such a common like yeah she wanted to go and be an thing. artist i'm sure she wanted to yeah. go and be in like montreal with like the artists are the artists in montreal yeah. i feel like that's the artsy city right mm-hmm. i might be wrong i'm sorry I Canada. Think so yeah okay though michael did testify that sarah had never told him about the money she'd found in the shoebox like i really want to know about this whole story with this shoebox money yeah the shoebox the titanic money But she had told him about her dreams of wanting to go to Canada and pursue her art career. Like, he knew about that, you know? So if she's trying to run away to Canada, she's not telling him (laughs) 
that she I wants mean, to go to Canada. I mean, if it's her best friend, I feel like he probably, I don't know. Yeah. Knows. And she's 19 years old. She's had this shoebox money for months. If she really wanted to get away from her dad that badly, she would have gotten away from him by now. Like, she would just have gotten an apartment and be living, like, not with him, you know? Mm-hmm. This day of the trial, they also put on several witnesses that were able to prove that Liam had been lying when police questioned him. He'd told the police so many stories to try and make Sarah look unstable, to make it look reasonable that she would have jumped off this bridge. One of those stories involves Sarah getting fired from her job at Bruno's Pizzeria in Neptune City, where she'd worked for a year. But the manager there testified that Sarah was a really good employee and that she hadn't gotten fired. Sarah had quit so that she could have more time to work on her art. And she said that Sarah and Liam had come into the pizzeria just a few days before her her disappearance. They had come in to pick up a pizza and that Sarah was really excited about getting to paint the windows at the pizzeria for Christmas. So she like still had a professional relationship going on with the pizzeria. She wasn't like fired. Right. She already had ideas of what she wanted to paint. And she was also going to be painting Mm -hmm. the windows at a local dry cleaner. That's so cool. An ocean engineering expert testified that if Sarah's body had been thrown off that bridge, within 24 hours, it would have drifted seven miles away and it would have been Mm. on its way out to sea by the time the U.S. Coast Guard started searching for her even just a few hours later. Obviously, the most climactic moment of the trial was watching that secretly videotaped confession where Liam talks about how he killed Sarah, which happened on day seven of the trial. The defense had worked very hard to suppress the video, obviously, but the judge allowed it in, and you just can't get more incriminating than than this video. Yeah, I mean, he's saying it. He's saying it, and he's saying it in such a dismissive manner. Like, he's being so dismissive of another human being's life. It was just horrific to everyone. Mm. Anthony Curry testified about how on Thanksgiving, Liam had described Sarah's murder to him before it had ever happened under the guise of it being an idea for a movie and that Anthony didn't think he was serious until Sarah's car was found on that bridge like a week or so later. And that was December, November. That was Thanksgiving that he said that. And then it was December 3rd, like when her car car was found. Yeah. Yeah. It had taken Anthony seven weeks to get involved. He had not wanted to be involved in any of this. But eventually Mm -hmm. he decided that he just had to do the right thing. And had he not come forward, they probably never would have gotten an answer about what happened to Sarah. And he put himself in a very dangerous situation. You know, he put himself in a car with someone who he suspected of murdering their best friend Mm -hmm. and then got him to confess that information to him. I just can't like... I think about, like, how they really wouldn't, like, they would have gotten away with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I, he wanted to talk bad, though, so I have a feeling, yeah, like, I mean, he, he would like, have. Yeah, he, like, gave a yeah, whole monologue. It wouldn't have taken him long to, like, run his mouth to the wrong person and it get back, but it happened to be Anthony, so. February 20th, 2019 was the 10th day of the trial, and the defense called a witness named Craig Hetzel who was a local contractor who testified that he was driving his son to work at around five in the morning. And he saw a girl walking down the street five in the morning, the day, like the morning after she died. Well, he went back and forth and said Friday or Saturday morning several times, but Mm -hmm. he saw a girl walking down the street and he said that he turned to his son and said, that's an awfully good looking girl to be walking down the street by herself at five in the morning. 
And then she ducked her head and turned down an alleyway. And he said he's 100% sure that the girl was Sarah Stern. He saw the flyers of her a few days ago. But here's my thing. You cannot ignore a videotaped confession of the killer describing how he murdered his best friend when the videotaped confession matches the physical evidence, the crime, like all these things. For a guy who says he drove past a girl walking down the street, like drove past her when he didn't know Sarah, he wouldn't have recognized her at the time. And you're not seeing a girl on the street and then three days later seeing a picture of her and then saying, oh, well, this is a girl we drove past. Yeah. Even, yeah, even if you're looking at her because you think she's cute, so you're taking a better look than you might normally, like eyewitness testimony is just so unreliable. It's notoriously unreliable. There's also zero corroborating evidence to support his testimony, so. I mean, it just sounds ridiculous. Right. Well, the trial lasted for six weeks. Ugh, really? And what do you think the jury decided? Mm, Boy, bye. (laughs) Yes. The jury found Liam McIntazany guilty on every count, all seven counts. Four months later came his sentence, which was life in prison without parole, plus a consecutive 10-year term for desecrating her body. So they're like, you'll be in here until you die, and then you will stay here another 10 years. Yeah, just in case. We'll just bury you right here. Yeah. And that, uh, that episode of 2020 was called With Friends Like These. Who Needs Enemies? Mm-hmm. And that is the story of the murder of Sarah Stern. So uh, yeah, I agree. It's so eerie to me when these things happen in like the ages of social media. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I looked her up and she was mm-hmm. adorable. And her Instagram account. It's like the Gabby Petit. It's like the last post. And then you just know. Oh, Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. isn't that eerie? With friends like these. Yeah, that one really made me sad. All right, shout out time. If you would like a shout out, you will have to head over to patreon.com slash true crime creepers and join the Patreon at any level. Any level gets you a shout out. And then once you joined, you fill out the form and we read your name on the air. Is this and the it's air? really fun for us. It's fun the, for you. Yeah, it, my mom air? thinks so. Okay. <laughs> on the hot mic. Oh, well, that mic is hot. These people are getting a hot mic shout out. Come get it while it's hot. Get it while it's hot. Get it while it's hot. All right. You going first? First, Mandy Genovese. Oh, Did I say that, that was right? nice. That's Gen- what I would have said. Mandy Genovese. Genovese. You like get it. a shout out, girl. Mandy Genovese. I really like Genovese. It's like uh, Genevieve. This sounds exhausting. Genevieve. Oh, I love the name Genevieve. That's one of my favorite names. Okay, pa- mm. sounds like Parnell, that. but without the E. Pamel. The E in the pa- middle? Pamel? Pernal? Pamel. That, that was not helpful. Pamel? Pamel? Did we get it right? No, pa- that's an Pamel. R and an N. No, it's not. Not an M. Yeah, Parnell. Oh, I got to learn to zoom in. That looks like a <laughs> This font is terrible. That's your fault. <laughs> That's not me. That's Google. Parna. With the, Parnal. With this Parnal. emoji. With the emoji face, it's like, oh. Like, oh, I'm a little unsure. Parnal, we love you. We hope we got that right. <laughs> yeah, Parnal, we're really sorry. Oof. Next, Layla. Like, like Kayla, Kayla with an L. Also, also that, that Eric Clapton song. 
I'm usually the music person, but I couldn't name an Eric Clapton song if my life depended on it. I do love the name Layla, though. And you spell it beautifully. Mm-hmm. She's got it with the, the I, the L-A-I-L-A. Yeah, we got a lot of one. We got just a lot of first names today. A lot of first names. That makes it easy. Except for this next one, Cuppy and Moofs. Oh, Cuppy Moofs. Oh, I love Cuppy when this is long. Moves. Are you ready? If something's long like this, you have to All read right. it in uh, OMG. really fast. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, let me zoom out. OMG, I don't know how to write that out without it sounding totally goobertronic. Hopefully it looks as easy as, as it is. Y'all are my favorite. And I love you so, so much. Thank you for being so damn rad. We're damn rad. Damn rad. And girl. for constantly making me laugh and making me wish I was your friend. XOXOXO. We do Happy. need to get back on uh, getting some some merch. You know, we need to do some designs. Maybe some damn rad is a good one. Damn rad. Yeah. Um, I'll get right like in that in my free show. time. The next time I have some free time. Yeah. Listen, I don't mean <laughs> us. I mean, whoever's out here making our stuff. Cuppy and moves. I love that. All right. All right. Jamie and Joe. I want to say shields, but this looks like sheeds. She olds. She olds. Oh, she olds. Okay. Jamie and she-olds. Joe shields. Shouts <laughs> to the shields. Shield shouts. And last but not least, Rachel. <laughs> We're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Rachel. We love Thanks, you, Rachel. Rachel. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much. If you did not hear your shout out on this episode, don't you worry. You'll hear it on one coming up. They's a coming. They's a coming. Bye, peeps and creeps. Wait, I said that with. Wait, we also have to tell people to follow us on the socials, the at Creepers Pod, on the Instagram and the Twitter and the Facebook discussion group. And thank you so much for listening. We we love you. People know our rants. That's all I got. Okay. You can buy peeps and creeps. Go check us out on social media. Yeah, please do. You got to vote on if you're more of a Kristen or a (laughs) Mo. Based on your organizational styles and other other prompts I may post. Yes. Okay. Bye, peeps and creeps.